We are in week three, week three of a four-week series, and this series is entitled From This Day Forward. So we're at week three of this, and uh, as I have mentioned, <clears throat> as I have mentioned in a, uh, the first couple of weeks, this is all based on a book that Craig Groeschel, New Life Church, <clears throat> that he wrote, and uh, so we're pulling information from him, pulling information from others that you know that I really have a desire to hear from, and, and they're inspiring to me. So we're going to dig into this a little bit more today. There's a lot to cover, so I want to get right into the message itself. Today, I want to talk to you about how to stay pure, how to stay pure. Now, I, I want to do a quick survey, and, uh, and I'm going to ask you if you would just participate, you know, in, in this survey. I know I've asked some of these questions before, but let me, let me just reiterate again with where we're going. We've got to get back into this. Uh, two weeks ago, Brother John was here, spoke about the missions work that he's doing and about faith. That was a great, great message last week. Dwayne Durst did a phenomenal job. I listened to that message twice. It's changed my life. It's given me some hope. I understand a little bit more now about the waiting room. I never could get that, but now I get it. Um, but let me ask you these questions. Let's go into this. How many of you are married in this room? Would you just raise your hand, please? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. You can put that down. How many are not married? Would you raise your hand as well? Okay. And how many of you would love to be married someday? Would you raise your hand on that? Okay. Now I'm going to get a little bit more personal. I'm going to get a little bit more personal and you may not want to answer too quickly. All right. So let me ask you some more questions. Let me ask you this, whether married or not, when you are married, how many of you are planning on committing adultery? Would you raise your hand? Oh, okay. Uh, nobody. All right. How many of you married or not are planning uh, to be, uh, to have a massive addiction to pornography? Would you raise your hand? Would you? No, you're not going to do that either. Okay, how many are planning to only have this? We're going to lower the bar a little bit. How many of you are planning only to have, you know, like an emotional affair with somebody? Would you raise your hand? You're not willing to go all the way with them, but you're willing to just give them your heart for now. You know, instead of giving it to your husband, your wife, you're going to give it to another person. How many? None of, you, none of you are participating with that. There's something going on here. I don't know what it is. Listen, it's interesting that no hands were raised at the last part of my questions, but the statistics tell us that well over half of us, well over half of the American society will have an affair. And it also tells us that 75% of us will do one or more of these things that I already talked about. 75%. 75% of us will do one or more. To me, it's crazy that nobody plans plans to do something that could destroy or significantly damage a marriage or a family, yet a majority of people do it all the time. It's all over our nation. It's all over the world, of course, but we're here in America, and it's more uh, important to me to say it's in our nation. And the truth is, is that if you don't do something about this right now, more than likely your husband or your wife is going to end up in the arms of another woman or another man. More than likely, that's going to happen to us because the odds are stacked against us. In the beginning of our series, I asked this question, and the question is, are great marriages even possible any longer? Are great marriages even possible? Is it really possible after, after all that so many of us have gone through that marriage can be and marriage is probably one of the most difficult things to deal with? As much as I love marriage, as much as I love my wife, and she loves me, but as much as I love this, this is always hard to do. 
a series on marriage and family and all of that stuff, it's really hard to do because we face more challenges with these areas of life than anywhere else. Marriage, because marriage is one of the hardest things to figure out and make it work for the good. It's not just an easy street kind of of, uh, opportunity. And what blows my mind that at the very same time, all the negative that uh, that we find with marriage, that we have heard and seen, there is still this incredible excitement. There's still this incredible dreams that we would have to to be able to marry that guy of our dreams or that girl of our dreams. It's still in us. But let me give you the answer to the question. The simple answer to the question, are great marriages even possible? The answer is a resounding no. No, it's not possible. Absolutely not. It's not possible. In fact, it's not probable if you're going to be following the world's way in dealing with marriage and in dealing with family. It's, it's a done deal. Uh, it's not probable if you're going to follow what the huge majority of society is doing with this thing called marriage and family and relationships. One of the most remarkable things to me as pastor is that here is God, the creator of all the heavens and the earth. He created humankind and has given us the owner's manual, the owner's manual to all things of life. He's giving this to us, his precious word. And listen, church, it never ceases to amaze me, but how far and how fast we can run from the the manufacturer's blueprint with what he says we're to do with life. Not just marriage, but with life, what we're to do with this, and, uh, and uh, uh, to deal with life and marriage and family, and at the same time, we turn around and blame God when things begin to fall apart. We get mad at God when our marriage is failing, when there's an affair, when there's something going on. My husband's into pornography, and he won't walk away from that. We blame God for those kinds of things. So what this series is about is to be returning back to and following God, his way and his standard, and what he says within his word with all of that. So here's what you're going to discover. That if you're following God and his way and his standard, you're going to discover that God's way works. God's way works. I was really hoping to get a better amen to that. That we have some people of faith to believe that God's way works. God's way is not restrictive, but God's way brings life. He always wants to bring life to us. So then, the answer would be, now the answer would be yes. Yes, if you follow God's way, great marriages are possible. Great marriages can be experienced. And I get it, church. I really do. I've been doing this for 34 years of my life. I've met with many, 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 many people in marriage and family and all of those things over those years. I I, I get it. uh, Believing God for a great marriage sometimes can be a very large pill to try to swallow, especially if you've had a failed marriage. Especially if you've had a spouse who's been unfaithful or an abusive situation in your marriage past. But that, again, is why I love the series that we're dealing with, because we're talking about from this day forward. And I know I introduced it this way in the beginning, but the reality is, is that we all have baggage. Every one of us. You have baggage. I have baggage. I have baggage. You have baggage. We all have that. We all have made mistakes. We've all made pretty poor decisions in our past. But the amazing thing with God The amazing thing with God all the time, I love the song, all your promises are yes and amen. The promises that he gives us, he not only helps us through our pain and our past of yesterday, but he also gives us a blank page to begin a brand new chapter of our life 
whenever you want it, whenever you decide, I'm going to begin to do it God's way. I'm going to follow God in this. He will give you a blank page to begin a brand new chapter. Come on, let's give God an amen to that. And he's the only one that can do that. And not only, uh, not only forgive us of our sins, which is incredible, but he cleanses us as well. And that means that we can get a brand new start. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is a brand new day. And you've got the start of a brand new direction of your life if you would choose to follow that. So week one, we talked about seek God. Week two, we talked about have fun. Last, this week, we're dealing with the, the, the title as stay pure. Stay pure. I know this is going to be tough. It's a great message. I, I'm excited to give it. Maybe my loud voice is telling you I'm excited because I am. But the fact of the matter, it, this is a challenging message. It's a challenging message. And I, I'm, I'm believing that even some in this service, the next service, and those who would listen online, that they're going to get mad at me. They're going to get mad at what's going to be said. They're going to be mad because actually what I'm doing is confronting society and I'm confronting the enemy himself. And many of us as believers have followed the ways of the world rather than following the ways of God. I don't know how else to say it to you. By the way, next week, I want you to know, I've changed the schedule with where I'm going, and next week, I'm, I'm uh, adding a brand new message to the series, and that is, I'm going to teach you how to have an affair. Literally. This week, I'm teaching you how to stay pure, and I want to test that next week with, I want to teach you how to have an affair. I'm teaching you, and I'm dead serious, and you don't want to miss that message. I'm going to teach you how to have an affair. Today, I want to talk about the commitment of staying pure. This is the commitment and the calling that I have for every married person in this room, every single married, uh, uh, divorced, uh, whoever they may be, that if you want great relationships, you have to stay pure. You have to stay pure. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. I trust that you've got your tablets on. You can follow along. Things will be projected behind me if you don't have one of those those gadgets. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage should be honored by all. Listen, when that says that word, marriage should be honored by all, that word honored means that you and I are going to honor the way that God says marriage should work. Not the way you think it should work, not the way that the world says it should work, not certainly the way the devil says. But what, what this scripture is saying is, is that it should be honored, and that means honored as God has defined it to be. Don't change it. Don't look into and listen to other opinions and thoughts of marriage and family and take that over what God says. It's basically what he is saying here. It's to be honored by all. And then it goes on to say, and the marriage bed to be kept pure. Now, as we're going through this scripture, I want you to realize there is an active role that both husband and wife are playing to protect the purity of their marriage. Remember the, the, uh, the questions I asked you in the beginning of this, and most of us didn't raise our hand for the concluding questions because they're pretty embarrassing and pretty difficult to deal with, but there is a, a way that we are to protect the purity of our marriage, and God's word continues by saying, at the end of that, for God will judge the adulterer and all of the sexually immoral. Just so you know, there are a bunch of scriptures on sexual purity about staying pure. There's a lot of them that are in the Word of God. And the reason for all the verses is not because God is trying to come up with some restrictive code so that you and I fail miserably every single day. That's not why God's doing that. He is not trying to make this as tough and as difficult as possible. 
But everything that God wrote in his word is not for his benefit. It's for our benefit. When God says things within his word, it's for your benefit and my benefit. I'm a husband of 40, almost five years, 45 years, and, and uh, these things I'm reading, these things I'm committed to, is because it's God's word. It's for my benefit. It's for Marian. It's for your benefit, and it's for the benefit of future generations. I've got children who are married and grandchildren, and, and, and probably soon as another generation is going to be starting off here, not too long down the road. So it's, it's for our benefit and, and others. There are a lot of standards of purity in Scripture. And actually, a lot of people totally dismiss what God has to say about purity. They just don't want to listen to it, both the Christian and the non-Christian alike. Then every so often, life and family and marriages, they get out of control, and we wonder, what the heck is going on? What has taken place here? Why are we here right now? Why are we doing this as a husband and as a wife? And we begin to bl blame God. How did this come about? But the truth is, is that we have to get back to God's standards. God is clear within his word what it means to be pure, what it means to be someone who is committed to the marriage. And so we just need to get back to that. Go with me to Ephesians 5.3. The apostle Paul says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Uh, let's just dismiss that. I, I didn't even read that. Or any kind of impurity, oh my Lord, or greed, uh, because these are improper for God's holy people. I'm sort of joking with you a little bit, but it's the reality. What, what the Apostle Paul is saying, and some of you are picking up and maybe even wondering the question, why would he be so, so specific about this? Why would he say that there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality? Why would he say that? The answer is simple. It's because he knows he knows that if we cave, if Randy Chiz caves, if you cave, if we cave on this, ever so little of what God says are his standards of purity, it then becomes a very steep and slippery slope after that, and it's very difficult to climb out of that. It's extremely hard, and a lot of people here in this room then that would be listening to us have experienced that. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now that word sexual immorality in the original Greek is the word pornea. Pornea, yes, that is the modern day word of what we now call pornography. Except pornea does not only refer to pornography as we know it. Pornography as we know it. Except Pornea does not, um, pornea, the definition of pornea, uh, sexual immorality, deals with this. Now listen to me, listen. It deals with any or all sex that's outside of the relationship with marriage between one man and woman. That's not the end. Pornea, dealing with sexual immorality in the scriptures in the Greek, it is also, it's any pornography, lust, adultery, homosexuality, living together outside of the marriage covenant, and sexual intimacy outside of marriage. That's the word of God. I didn't come up with that. I didn't say it. God did. And these are some of the things that when we hear this, for whoever we may be, and I'm the leader of the pack, so I'm the one who thinks this first and foremost, but does this really apply to me? But, you know, I love her, I love him, and, and all of that, whatever, whatever we're thinking that would justify us, we begin to question and we begin to doubt. 
And yet this is what the word of God says. Go with me to verse four. Verse four says that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Listen, God knows. He knows that what we're talking about here is really hard. That's why I said some of you are going to be mad at me. This is not easy. This is not easy for me to live in. This is not easy because I have a flesh that wants to get into everything else that everybody else is into. But Paul is telling us here, he's telling us in verse 4, he says, this is not going to be easy to control. It's not easy doing life God's way. Purity is not easy. Verse 5, and he says these words, not in passionate lusts lusts like the pagans who do not know God. That means that you and I are not to follow our feelings because that's what the pagan gods do. Whatever, Whatever the pagans would want They would do it because they want to do it. It's what they want to do. And what Paul is telling us, that we're not to go by our feelings. And do you know why? Do you know why? Yes or no? Yes? We all know why. It's because we can't trust our feelings. They will deceive us. Feelings can hardly ever be trusted. You aren't led by your feelings. Feelings are going to lie to you. You can't base our lives on our feelings. We need to base our life on the truth of God's word Amen. Well, thank you that you responded. Verse 7 of that same chapter says these words. Paul says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. I want to challenge my men. I challenge my men, but I challenge my, my, my ladies as well here at Word of Life. But I want to challenge the men in particular because this is really tough. And if there's anything I have dealt with, not just personally, but with so many men in my years of ministry is this these particular verses, and that's Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7. Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7. I'm asking all of my men, and women as well, but all of my men, that you will read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 once a month for the 2018 year, 2018. And uh, would you please do that? Because these verses right there, they warn us how hard it really is to be lured through lust. How difficult it really is to resist all of those things. Why? Because it looks so good. It looks good. It smells good. It just seems so promising if we were to go down that path. But it's going to cost you everything. Should you do this, I promise you, according to the word of God, especially in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, it will cost you everything. More about that in just a moment. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 8, And it says these words. It says, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whatever sins, whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you of whom you have received from God? You are not your own. I say it again. You are not your own is what the Bible says. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. He starts off by saying, he says, flee from sexual immorality. In other words, run for us, run. Run. Get out of there as quick as you can. In other words, what Paul is saying, don't you dare have a casual attitude about what we're talking about today. 
Don't you dare, dare just whoosh away whatever it is that we're saying in the Word of God and say, but that doesn't apply to me. He's saying, don't you dare be someone who just allows that to happen. So I want to say something, because at the end of verse 19, it says these words, you are not your own. I made an emphasis of that a moment ago. I want you to hang with me, because, because I'm going to go a little bit deep with this. If you're here today and you're not a believer... If you're here today and you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not yet born again, and you know if you are or not. You know if that has happened in your life. I want to tell you that what I'm going to talk about for the next three minutes or less has, has nothing to do with you. you. You don't have to adhere to anything that I'm going to say. You have a pass on what I'm going to be telling the rest of the church. Because as a non-believer, uh, you have a right to choose whatever you want to do with your body. You can do that. That's your choice. But let me talk to the rest of my church, for us who are Christ followers. But for us who are Christ followers, our bodies are not our own. We do not own ourselves. Huh. Our bodies are not our own. We do not own ourselves. You see, we had a moment in life where we met God in a very real powerful, incredible way. We met him, and that changed everything for us. It changed everything for me. It's changed everything for you. And we learned that God himself came to this earth and he gave his life. He gave his life for us. He gave his life for me, for you. And he gave us a bunch of benefits as a result of that for those of us who would follow. We, our sins would be totally forgiven. Our sins would be wiped away from us as far as the east is from the west is what the Bible says. Our names are now logged in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. And that means when we die and we're going to die, Welcome to Word of Life, Assembly of God. You're going to die. But anyhow, anyhow, um, if we would believe we're going to spend eternity in heaven with God. And we thought at the moment that this was a really good trade-off to go ahead and give God our life. We gave him our life. So God gave his all and his best, and we gave God our all and our best. And that's exactly what it means to be a Christian what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to really be one who is committed to God. It's not about coming to church on Sundays. I want you here. It's lonely without you, but it's not just about coming to church on Sunday. No, it's about when you and I surrender our life, the control of our life over to God, even including this right here, our bodies. Giving God our bodies. Giving God who we are. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says that you and I are not our own. We were bought with a price, and the price was his shed blood, just like we talked about a few moments ago with communion. It was his shed blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary that, was, that bought our bodies. When we commit ourselves to him, our everything, it goes to God. The price was that much. So now, now I base, and I trust you base, all of our decisions on how I live my life, it's not based on what I think. It's not based on what I want, but now my life is based on what God says about my life from here on out. That's what it's based on. You see, every person in this room, every person who may be listening to the podcast has to come to the place when you decide and you determine, are you going to live your life according to what you think the way you should live your life, or are you going to begin to live your life the way that God says that we are to live our life, what God says. 
So what I want to do is I want to do a little bit of a show and tell. If I could have Luke and whoever's going to help me with this, uh, I, I want to... I want to share something with you that I think is going to help drive the point home even better. This is, a, this is something I've seen before, and I just think it's a, a great idea. So I'm going to do this with you. So what we have here, you know, one of the things that bothers me about the church, and I'm a leader in the church, but one of the things that bothers me about the church is I think we've done a lousy job talking about purity talking about these promises that God has for us. I, I just think we do. I think there's a lot of confusion within believers with all of that. So what I've got here is that I've got some firewood. And uh, what I want to do is that I want to build a fire right here on the stage. And, you know, I, I, think, I think it's probably a, a really good idea. And uh, so what, I, you know, has anybody ever gone camping? Have you ever gone camping and but isn't that fire beautiful? I mean, isn't it just a beautiful thing to have? And, you know, you, you put the wood together and you have all of these things happening. And uh, this, is, this is really exciting. This is really fun. I've made fires before. So if you're judging how I'm doing that, I've made a fire before. I just need a lot of newspaper to make sure that it catches on fire is all I need. Um, probably a lot of you right now are pretty concerned about my mental state. <laughs> Wondering, maybe we should call 911 and uh, help the pastor out. Uh, we, well, I have gasoline in the back. I'm going to get that in just a couple of minutes here before we go much further in matches. Um, but what, what I want to do is, is to build this fire. And the truth of the matter is, um, for you, the problem isn't necessarily the fire. Fires, really, it can be something beautiful when it's done right, when it's in the right parameters. And, and uh, the, the problem is, is that your, your problem is, is where I'm having the fire, putting it right here. And I, and I do go to Ace Hardware for those of you who are wondering. Um, anyhow, um, having the fire right here, it, that's, that's really where the problem is. It's my choice of where I decided to burn this fire. Um, if we were all outside the doors right now, in fact, I've been watching some of you, you're looking at the quickest exit to get out of here, um, but don't worry, we're, we're almost through this, this little illustration, um, but it's not, so much, it's not so much the thing that's the problem, the fire itself, it's not so much the thing that's the problem, it's whether that thing can be contained and based, where I, based on where I've chosen, chosen to do this. Can the fire be contained? And the same thing is with our passions. The exact same thing is with each and every one of us with our passions. You see, I'm afraid within the church that, as I said a moment ago, the church has done a lousy job communicating passions, communicating what it is that God has done in us. I think we've done a poor job, and, and as a leader of the church, I apologize. If we've done that here at Word of Life, I think we've tried to be as consistent and honest as we as possibly could be for the last 25 years, but I know, I know we still hear things and and are involved with things, but basically, we've we've all we've heard from the church regarding passions is no, don't, not now, no, no wait, you wait, you stop, no, you don't do that, amen. Let's go home. The church is done for today. Let's go home. It's over. Let's go to Chili's. You know, it's that kind of thing. That's about as good as we get. But that's not the message of the Bible. That's not what the Word of God tells us. What we need to hear from God's Word is that God created those passions. He created those passions, and God wants you to have a fire in you. He wants that for you. If you're single, if you're married, God wants you to have a passion, a fire that would be in you, and it's clear throughout all of the Scriptures. It's fine to have a passion. It's fine to have passions, but it's not fine to have those passions in the wrong place. 
So passions are not necessarily the issue, but containment is. God didn't come along and say, don't have passions. God isn't saying that. He's not saying that in this word. But God is saying that you need to put those passions in the right place at the right time. Let me say it this way. God doesn't condemn you, uh, condemn you for what you feel because God gave you those feelings. You are created by God and he gave you the feelings that are inside of you, that are inside of me, that are inside of all of us. But we also understand as the church, many of us as believers, we also understand is that there's an enemy that will lie to you and I. And they will say to you and I, it's okay to take those feelings and put them wherever you want to put them, even though God says no. Even though God says not yet. Even though God says not this way. So passions are not the problem. Containment is. Containment is the problem. Years ago, I was youth pastor. I was youth pastor here for eight years before I went to West Point and was chaplain down there for eight years. And of course, I have some experience with teenagers. I've raised some teenagers, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but uh, all of us would know that teenagers seem to have their hormones going about 1,000 miles an hour every single day of their lives. And typically, as parents, we often think that all they're doing is being rebellious. When the reality is, is that, you know, I think there's a little bit more to that than that. Because hold on with what I'm going to say to you right now. And what I'm going to say is, what if we said to our teens, what if we said to them, don't stop being rebellious? I'm serious. What if we said to our teenagers, don't stop being rebellious? If a teenager is here right now and you're listening to me, I would say this to you as your pastor. I would say the problem right now is that you're rebelling against the wrong things. You're rebelling against God. You're rebelling against your, your school, your teachers, your parents. You're, re, you're, you're rebelling at the wrong things. But instead, what if I was to say to you, how about if you would rebel against the world and society with its crazy ways and thoughts and ideas that they have to life? What, what if you were to begin to rebel? What if you personally decide on the inside, I'm not going to do it the world's way. I'm not going to do it like I see on MTV and wherever else that we may be hearing things and seeing things. What if you were to take up your fight against the devil with his plans and schemes and lies to bring destruction in people's lives? What if you were to have a passion for that, to be able to deal with that kind of thing instead? In other words, keep the, keep the emotion and, and keep it in the right place. Keep it at the right place. I mentioned West Point just a moment ago. Mark, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Matt Martin was a cadet that graduated in 1990 when I was there at West Point. He was a great man of God. He was from uh, uh, Oklahoma area. He really loved Jesus, and uh, uh, he was, a, he was a, a great athlete, just as you would know cadets. By the way, there's 4,000 cadets at West Point typically uh, every year. And uh, and what, what Matt would do after taps, when everything's supposed to be quiet and you shut off the lights and you go to sleep, uh, what Matt would do, along with a few other guys, I remember a guy by the name of Chris was doing this with them, they would paint their faces black, put on camel, and uh, begin to sneak around, literally would crawl on the floor so that they wouldn't be seen with shadows and stuff like that, and come up and knock on a door, knock on a door of one of the cadets, and they would open the door, and they would just simply say something like this, do you mind if we talk to you about what Jesus has done in our life? And they would begin to share with them. And they won many cadets. We had a lot of kids coming to, to our little church in Highland Falls, New York, outside the gate of West Point for many years. And guys like this were, were doing this. In other words, these guys had a passion for people who were far from God. 
They had that passion. In other words, they were capturing the emotions and investing that into the right area of life. And honestly, that's what we need. Every one of us need the exact same thing. We need that. Church, you and I need that same kind of passion, that same kind of talk. Passions need parameters is what it needs. And God has a standard that makes passions burn brighter and burn even bigger. And Randy Chiz rejects the notion that the world says that Christians are nothing but a bunch of mean, boring, non-fun, sterilized kind of people. No, actually, I believe that we are probably the most passionate people on planet Earth. And let me give you a scripture to back that up. In fact, in, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, New Living Translation says these words. It says, those who belong to Christ, uh, to, to Christ Jesus, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to, the cro- to his cross and crucified them there. There is a difference Uh, here in the scripture when you deal with passions with the believer. It says that we have submitted our passions to the one that we serve. Listen, I know I am vulnerable to anything that everybody else (coughs) is vulnerable to, (coughs) but we have to make a decision to nail those passions that we have, and and, uh, the believers are doing that, (coughs) submitted our passions to the one that we serve, and we have nailed those passions those desires, listen, that are, are, are uh, uh, of our sinful nature, we've nailed those things to the cross. <clears throat> we haven't nailed all of our passions, but the ones that are sinful is what the scriptures declare that we are to do. So I want to close with four things, four things that, that uh, will give you parameters uh, to your purity and to your life. Listen, Purity matters. It really does. And if you get this lesson right, you're going to take on a whole new level of passion like you've never had before. So let me give you number one. Number one is this. Uh, uh, It's time to make a commitment to God's standard. It's time to make a commitment to God's standard. Psalm Psalm 119 verse 9, how can a young person uh, stay on the path of purity by living according to God's word? That's how we do it. I want to challenge all of you to do this, every one of you, young and old alike, that you would make a commitment to God's standard. What God says is what you're going to do. And I completely get it. I understand that when we begin to take this stand, especially for those of you who are in school, those of you who are in college, and those of us who have social, kind of a social relationship with many, there's going to be people who will hear of God's standards and they're going to resist it. They're going to be angry. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to put pressure on top of you and I. And I want to ask you, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that when they do that? Because it will happen. It does happen. It's at that decision-making moment of culture or God, which one will you choose, that you are actually deciding if God truly is the God of your life or not. I don't mean to be so judgmental, but this is what I'm seeing within the Word of God. Because He truly is not God, or at least not your God. If He would say something for you to do or not to do, and you decide, I don't like that, I'm going to do what I want to do anyhow. He truly isn't your God. But... If he says for you to do something and you don't agree with what he says to do, and then you sit back and you decide the fact that he is God, and God is the one who calls all the shots in my life. So therefore, I'm going to now, you're proven to him that he truly is your God. He truly is your God. That's what makes him to be God. God determines the parameters. God has the exclusive rights to determine containment, and you can trust him. He's doing it right. I'm going to jump ahead just simply because we're running out of, out of time here. God, ha- God has the exclusive right to do what's right, to decide what's wrong. Um, in dealing with sexual um, debates and uh, all of that related to our sexuality, 
I've been asked some questions about that. Pastor, what do you think about all of these things that we're dealing with these days? And uh, I want to say something to you that may frustrate you. I don't know, but um, I just want to ask you a question back. What does it matter what I think? It shouldn't matter at all. It just shouldn't matter at all what Randy just thinks. And I say that because God has spoken. And there's someone much higher than Randy Chiz, much higher than you, much higher than anybody. God has spoken. And I don't think there's ever been a time in my life when I've heard something. I may not understand it completely, but I don't think there's been a time in my life that when God says something in a word and culture does something completely the opposite, that I need to have a new opinion, a new thought. I got to be able to instruct. Listen, here at Word of Life, we believe God's word is true. And whatever God says, we're going to agree with him. It's just the way it is. We don't need to debate it. In fact, I'm rather tired of listening to all of people's opinions behind what they think with sexuality in America today or around the world. It's, it's, it doesn't matter to me what they think. It matters to me what God thinks. And I want it to matter to you, with you the same way. Listen, I made a decision 45 years ago, almost 46 years ago now, to give my life to Jesus. As far as I know, there's no turning back. There's just going to be following Jesus. There's no turning back that's going to take place. Let me go through the, the last three, and I'll do that very quickly. Because at some point, you've got to come back to God and His Word. The second thing that gives you some parameters is uh, manage your mind. Manage your mind. I'll just read one scripture in um, Job 31.3. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. This is what Job said. We need to manage our mind because there is, there, because of the plethora of impurities that are out there, it's, it's so easy for us to get caught up into lusting and wanting and pursuing those kind of things. So I say to all of us that are here, all of us that are in this room and dealing with this one point, and that is you need to daily monitor, sometimes an hour a day, monitor your eye gate, your ear gate, your media intake gate that you have. It may look good to you, but there's a hook, and it's going to get you. So you need to monitor all of those kind of things. Number three, Point number three is, if I could have the worship team, you are out here, and you're as quiet as a church mouse coming out here too. The third, the third thing that gives you parameters is that you need to magnify the consequences. Magnify the consequences, and that is Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32. A man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine. Magnify the consequences. I can't imagine sitting down with Marianne, who has been nothing but faithful, who has done nothing but support me in everything that I do, and tell her I've been in the arms of another woman. I've gone to bed with another woman. I can't imagine telling my kids, adult kids, little kids, I can't imagine telling you, there's consequences to this. And the greatest thing I can't imagine is me talking to my father about this, for what he's done for me. I've turned my back on his word and I've done what I've wanted to do because I'm being led, led by lust. 
And lastly, is to prepare, maintain proper relationships, which is why I love life groups so much. This is an opportunity for you and I to come into relationship with other men and other women. And man, if you're walking around with secrets right now in your life, you're in, you're in a dangerous path. You've got to talk to somebody. You've got to talk to another man. You've got, sir, you need to talk with another man. Man, ma'am, you need to talk with another woman. If you can't talk to your spouse, if you can't talk to anybody else. We need to maintain those proper relationships. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray. Father, I pray for every person that is here today. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us right now? None of us signed up, God, to have an affair when we got married. None of us signed up to be caught up into all kinds of addictions in our life that would would possibly destroy our marriage, our relationships. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you that you will give us coverage. You will give us protection. You would give us wisdom in dealing with all the constant plethora of those things out there leading us, calling us, pulling us toward our sinful desires, our immoralities, oh God. And I'm the leader of the pack, God. And I'm asking you to protect and help me through this too. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, just maybe there's some who are here today who would say, you know what, Randy, I'm far from God. I know I am. I know I am. But today you're at the right place at the right time. I don't want to know a single thing about your life. I'm not interested in whatever sins you may want to dredge up. I don't care about that. I got my own issues to deal with. But I want to let you know there's an answer to those sins. There's an answer to those issues of life. And his name is Jesus. And he loves you. And he's not looking to try to dominate you with his rules and laws. He's trying to bring you to life. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if it would be your desire that maybe just today would be a day that you'd want to commit your life to him. Would you just hold up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to simply pray for those who would want to make a move toward God, whether it's a brand new relationship or whether it's something that you're coming back home. You want to be with God. Would you just hold up a hand just for a moment around here? Thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you. The Spirit of God speaking to our hearts and lives. I pray that you would be glorified in the midst of all of this today. We give you our life, Jesus. We ask you to forgive us of our sin. Become the Lord and leader of our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name. We're going to do our final and last worship song. Would you all stand to your feet, please? As they begin this final song, if we would uh, would like prayer, if I could have our intercessors, please make your way down. If I don't say that early on, you come right down here anyhow because we want you guys here. These guys have been praying for the last 45 minutes of our service, praying for you and praying for this moment. So if you have any need whatsoever, we welcome you to come down and let them pray over you. These are trusted intercessors of our church who love God and would love to pray with you. Let's go ahead and do that song.